Hi everyone, it's really nice to see you here this morning. Um, it's so nice to be here this morning and to open God's amazing word together. So let's open the Bible and have a look. Um, our passage today is from Hebrews chapter 9. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover, but we cannot discuss these things in detail now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and at that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshipper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, it's not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place, once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So when we first read this passage from Hebrews 9, it feels a bit like a history lesson, doesn't it? There's talk of all these very specific details and all these long words like covenant and atonement and tabernacle, ceremony and consecration. Reading it just now, it was hard to get the words out without getting, getting my tongue tied. But there is a bigger message here. Our Hebrew writer is pointing his readers towards the presence of God. He is showing them that God's presence has a place with us in a new way through Jesus, a better way. One of the things that I love about the book of Hebrews, and indeed the Bible as a whole, is that we can see these storylines, these threads that run through the Bible from the beginning to the end. They point us towards God and Jesus and make it clear that he has had a plan all along. 
In particular, today I wanted to point us towards this storyline of God's presence in the Bible and how our Hebrews writer draws us to the presence of God through Jesus Christ. Are we all right? Is this better? Oh, yeah, that's much better. So hasn't the weather been absolutely gorgeous this week? I love the sunshine and the warmth on my face, and I feel so much more awake. Um, I've seen so many daffodils, and I even went outside without a coat on this week. Beautiful. And enjoying the weather has felt so encouraging and uplifting. It feels like a glimpse of what Eden might have been like. Pondering on this brings me back to the beginning of the Bible, where it talks about God's beautiful creation, when he made mankind in his image, when he could be with his people and they could be with him. Adam and Eve were created to be in God's presence. In the Garden of Eden, they walked and chatted with him in the cool of the day. After they'd sinned, however, they hid from each other and they hid from God. The human race has been hiding ever since. Because sin came into the world, God couldn't be close to his people anymore. Unlike Adam and Eve who could walk happily in the Garden of Eden with God, others couldn't come close. While God couldn't be close to his people as he had once been, he wanted to be with them. He showed them signs of his love and his presence. He provided for his people and he protected them. But still, God wanted to be even closer to his people. So he asked Moses to build the tabernacle. The tabernacle, meaning residence or dwelling place, is the place where the presence and glory of God himself dwelt in the midst of his people. By placing strict, regu- strict regulations around the tabernacle, he sought to live among his people. He made a way to rebuild an intimate relationship with the people he loved. And although he couldn't walk alongside his people like with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he still yearned to be close to them. God gave very specific instructions on how this tabernacle was to be built. Unlike Adam and Eve, who could spend all the time they wanted with God, only the high priest could enter the most holy place, and at that, only once a year. As we can see from our passage today, but only the high priest entered the inner room, and at that, only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people. It might also be worth noting for later that at this point that the tabernacle, which had once been a portable holy tent, was later built more permanently as the temple by King Solomon. That might come in handy later. But God's presence in the tabernacle didn't last. Even after God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, they rejected him. Israel had been repeatedly turning away from God He sent them warning after warning through prophets, trying to call his rebellious people back to him. They worshipped other gods, they acted with greed and violence, and they even ignored the warnings that God sent through the prophets. And so, God's presence and glory could no longer stay in the holy temple. 
And God's presence and glory left that place. As long as God's people were living in sin and turning away from him, he could no longer be close to them. When God's presence left the holy temple, he was no longer protecting his people, and so Israel was easily defeated by the Babylonians. You may, for example, remember the story of Daniel, an exile in Babylon, who God rescued from the den of lions. So God's people were taken away into exile, and the temple was destroyed. But they knew of prophecies that one day God's presence would come back again, and they were waiting for that day. God had a plan. He had a plan to never forget his people. He had a plan to be close to them once again. And spoiler alert, God had a plan to send Jesus. In fact, if we look to John chapter 1, John talks about this Jesus and how important he is. This Jesus who was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. This Jesus who is light shining in the darkness. This Jesus born of God. And then we get to John chapter 1 verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus made his dwelling among us. If we look at the Greek from that verse, the word used for dwelling is eskenosan. And if we translate that word literally, That word means to pitch a tent, to encamp, or to tabernacle. So Jesus, the word, became flesh and tabernacled among us. Isn't that amazing? Through Jesus, God's presence is among us in a new way. Unlike the Israelites who knew the glory of God from a distance, by a tent that they could not enter, by the word of one priest who could enter that holy place only once a year, Jesus became God's presence on earth, dwelling with his people, spending time with them, eating with them, laughing with them, weeping with them. Verse 11. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. He entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. In the Old Testament, God's presence dwelt in the tabernacle with the most holy place only entered once a year by one priest. God was close and yet so far. The sin and mess of the people meant that they had to keep their distance from God. His glory and goodness was too great for them. And yet by Jesus, we don't have to keep our distance from God anymore. Verse 11, Jesus entered the most holy place once and for all, by his own blood, obtaining eternal redemption. When Jesus died on the cross, he became the ultimate, once and for all, sacrifice. 
Unlike the priests in the Old Testament who had to make sacrifices for the sins of the people and for themselves over and over again, Jesus was perfection. He took our sin with him to the cross. Without Jesus, we were unworthy to be close to God. But by the blood of Jesus, our mess and mistakes have been washed away. Jesus gained eternal redemption for us. Isn't that amazing? We're rescued from our sin by Jesus yesterday, today and forever. If we look to Matthew chapter 27 verse 50, we can see what happened in that moment when Jesus gave up his life. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. From heaven to earth, the barrier between mankind and God was broken. The most holy place, which had once been hidden to all people, was now open to all people. And let's not forget that the temple was a momentous building. If you were at the Impact Sunday service last week, you might have heard the reading where the disciples turned to Jesus and said, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. The temple curtain, which created a barrier to the most holy place, would have been 40 cubits high or roughly 60 feet tall. So if you imagine one of your friends who's six foot tall and multiply them by 10, it's quite high, isn't it? An early Jewish tradition suggests that the veil was about four inches thick. So this was not some measly curtain. This was a sturdy veil, torn by God as if it were a flimsy piece of paper. This must have been a sight to see for those in the temple at the time. As our Hebrew writer tells us in verse 9, the most holy place, this special room that could only be entered once a year, This was a sign that all the sacrifices and gifts that a priest could offer to God would never be enough. But by Jesus, all the barriers between us and God have been broken down for forevermore. So as we come to the end of today's passage, I wonder how we can respond. God has a deep longing to be present in our lives. By the Holy Spirit... God is present in our lives. I think that sometimes this can be a frustrating truth to accept and believe. I can't speak for everyone here, but I don't audibly hear God's voice every day. He doesn't send me texts or pull on my ear when I'm making a mistake. It can feel like a puzzle sometimes to navigate life, wondering, where is God in the midst of this? But I hope this message can give us some hope and an encouraging reminder that Jesus is there, even when we can't see him, and some hope that we will see him, even if we don't right now. Throughout the Bible, God's people were feeling that same way, and yet throughout the Bible, with the amazing gift of hindsight for us, we can see that God was there, and he heard the cries of his people. When the Israelites cried out to God in slavery, he rescued them. When they were wandering in the wilderness, he, rescued, he rested among them by his tabernacle. And even when they had rejected God and were living in exile, 
God promised to bring them back to him. And God promised his people over and over again that he would stay by their side. Moses discovered this when he protested that he wasn't eloquent enough to lead God's people. God's response was, I will go with you. After the death of Moses, God knew Joshua was afraid to take on Moses' role. He didn't calm his fears by sending him a giant army. Instead, he said, I will be with you. And David, the most successful general and the greatest warrior in Israel's history, sings of the secret of his confidence. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, God. A great theme in the story of the Bible is God longing and finding a way to be present among his people. Today, the presence that used to walk around Eden, the presence that fell on Solomon's temple, the presence that every hero of the Old Testament sought, lives in us. God is longing to be present in your life today. In what ways do you long to feel God's presence in your life this week? I'll give you a minute to ponder that. Perhaps it's in the busyness. Perhaps it's in the quiet moments. Perhaps it's in stepping out in faith. Perhaps it's in the struggles. So take a moment to think, where in your life this week would you like to acknowledge that message from God who says, I am with you? Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, as we head towards Easter, we thank you for what you did on the cross for us. You tore down the barriers between us and God, and now we can be with you forever. Thank you that you are always with us. Thank you for your promises throughout the Bible that you are with us, that you will never leave us or forsake us. Please help us to be aware of you at work in our lives in new ways this week and that we may trust in your plan, your purpose and your place in the midst of our every day. Lord, be in our resting. Lord, be in our waking. Be in our laughing and our weeping. You are everything, God. May we live to honour and serve you in everything we do and say. In Jesus' name, amen.